grab your Bibles and let's go back to the book of Proverbs. This is our second week in the book of Proverbs, and we are excited to go through this new journey together. And we made it last week down to verse 7, and we kind of need to pick it up there today um, as a sake of review. But before we do, why don't we just start in verse 1, and we'll read for a while, and then we'll dive in and see how the Lord would speak to us. All right? How's that sound? Y'all doing good, by the way? All right. Plus, I need y'all to be a little rowdy because, you know, first service, they, they look calm, and I need y'all to cut up a little bit. Let's be who we are. Amen? There you go. Look at all the smiles. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. I really do love that part. And to the young man, knowledge and discretion. And notice a wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and f- but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. So, Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, for your word that you have given us, Lord, as we open our hearts to it, Lord. And for those who struggle with that now, I, Lord, I pray that you would remove all of the hindrances, all the things that would cause us to be focused on this life, this world that's passing away, anything in this room that would cause distraction, Lord, that you would grab our attention, that you would settle our hearts, that you would speak to us by your spirit. And, Lord, prepare us to receive the things that we need to receive in Jesus' name, amen, amen. And so as we, we dive back into this, it's going to be uh, just a, a good time in the book of Proverbs. Last week, we talked about wisdom. If you remember, I defined wisdom last week as the ability to apply sound judgment, which has been gained through either careful consideration or experience. You, you, you learn one or two ways. You gain wisdom either from making mistakes and learning the hard way, as I did often, or from receiving instruction and taking it to heart and applying it in your life. Um, and, and some of us both, right? Many of us both. And so those are wonderful things. And so we, we begin to see that. Um, he said, as we ended last week, that in verse 5, remember, the man who is wise will increase. He will hear. He will receive. He will increase in learning. It's almost like those who are wise are learning to listen and put the things that they should in practice. But but those who are fooled, they don't want to hear it. And verse 7 tells us that. Look at where we ended last week, verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as we go through the book of Proverbs, it's almost this spiritual thing that we're learning that's happening. Even though wisdom, instruction, knowledge, all that stuff feels very practical, seems very practical. But what we're beginning to learn is that it begins first with us turning our heart to the Lord. Verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I like that because fearing the Lord, look, it's really a fear of doing anything that would grieve the Lord, 
Remember, the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit in of us, those of us who are born again, right? How many of you are born again and have the Spirit in you? Well, the Bible says that we can literally grieve the Holy Spirit which is in us when we refuse to yield to his conviction, his pointing things out in our lives, and we try to turn a deaf ear, so to speak, to the Holy Spirit as he's speaking to us and ignore him, or we go off in sin when he's convicting us of sin, and we do it anyway. The Bible says we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Remember in the book of Galatians, it says that, that the... The flesh and the spirit are at war. They lust. They war against one another so that we do not do the things which we wish. Because we like sinning. But the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us even though the flesh wants to do, wants to go. The spirit of God is like, no, come this way. And that's beautiful because in the book of Proverbs, we are hearing the, that wisdom is crying out, being personified in the, in the feminine as we talked about last week, as it's crying out for us to listen and I believe that that is true. And so this fear of the Lord is kind of like the same fear, listen, that a child has for a parent in a healthy relationship. Um, it's this fear that we have, and, and, and I say a healthy relationship, a healthy parental relationship where the child has this respect and this, this fear of, uh, if you will, displeasing their parent. Now, I came up in a time where, you know, I had... Both my parents and my grandparents, uh, I went to a church where, um, kind of like this one, they were younger, old, and, and the deacons and the men in the church, they were all like my heroes, and the, the women in the church were all like my mothers, and, and so I lived in that kind of community. And I remember, I was telling the first service, that I had this fear of my parents, and particularly my dad, and I remember the first time that I got pulled over by a police officer for speeding. It was in December, I know, because I and a friend, we were on our way to what we call then a Christmas tournament where a bunch of high schools would get together and play a tournament. Anybody know what I'm talking about from the South? Yeah, so that's the big thing because in the country, you ain't got nothing else going on. So you're going to the um, Christmas tournament, and I'm doing 70-something and a 55, and I get pulled over. And I remember sitting in the cop's car. I don't remember what he looked like, I don't remember anything he said to me. What I remember was I had this desire in me and I thought about asking him if I could spend the night at the jail. <laughs> because I believe that it would be safer for me to go to jail than to have to look my father in the eye because my father trusted me with the car and I went out and I sped. I don't remember the Christmas tournament. I don't remember who won. Um, I remember my heart beating in my chest. And I had to sit in the living room at my home that night and hand my dad that pink slip. And that was the most scariest moment of my life at 16. Because there's something that God desires to happen in the way he's designed things. But the world is getting away from that. In fact... The, you know, more and more and more, this kind of thing is being lost because as we're going to get into it, the enemy literally hates God's creation, family, marriage, all of those things. And so now we're living in the times and more and more so that Paul warned us in when he was given Timothy some instruction as to what the last days would be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, um, where the first several verses when Paul says, that in the last days, perilous times would come. Y'all remember this, don't you? 
Y'all remember the rules too, don't you? All right, yes. Um, he says, for, for look, men would be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, headstrong, haughty. Notice, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Notice, having a form of godliness, and this last part of it is the thing that really brings it home. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power from such, turn away. And when we read those verses, we can say, yeah, Pastor Kevin, that's exactly where the world is today. And those are the things that we're seeing, disobedient to parents and proud and, and, and no love. And even Jesus says that there's a time coming when the, 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 because, um, the, the love of many will, will grow cold because lawlessness will abound. We know that. We've seen that. But when he says they have a form of godliness but deny its power, that gives us an indication that Paul, when he was talking to Timothy, wasn't really just focused on the world because when the apostles wrote the scripture uh, to the church, they were writing about things that the church would deal with. And the implication is that even within the church, there would be such an influence of the world that would be coming into the church that we would begin to see these things impact the church. And indeed, we do. The world is headed in a direction where no one fears God. But the Bible tells us that this fear of the Lord is essential. It is one of the most essential things. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 on the screen. Ecclesiastes says in verse 12 and 13 there, it says, And further, my son, be admonished by these of making many books. There is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. It reminds me of the verse that says, ever learning but never able to come into the knowledge of truth. Y'all remember when Paul said that to Timothy? In other words, there's going to be, you know, mountains of books, and there are. There's mountains. If I had a penny for every time somebody asked me, Pastor Kevin, have you read in this some person's book, I could be a millionaire on a penny every time I get asked that question. And, and we have books, mountains of books, books written by men and women who have fallen into sin and gone astray as we see the apostasy just beginning to take root in the world right around us and affecting the church. We see that. There's always going to be books. But notice he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's what we need. Y'all ready? Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. For that is man's all. You catch that? He said, this is the whole of the matter. Have a reverence and a love and a desire to please God and keep his commandments. And this is what Solomon believes that he wants to instruct us in more than anything else. This fear of the Lord is essential because when someone turns to the Lord and they have a reverence for him, that wisdom follows and it's a supernatural thing. Wisdom is given to the one who is seeking the Lord as they live their life and trying to figure out what the Lord would have them to do. It is the foundation. This fear is the foundation of wisdom, and it begins to take hold of our lives as we begin to turn to the Lord. Let me give you one more. Hebrews, Noah, an Old Testament example. Hebrews 11:7. Y'all with me? Notice on the screen, it says, by faith, we know this, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with what, y'all? Godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And I love that because it says that he moved with godly fear, a reverence of God. In other words, Noah was warned of things not yet seen. You got to think about it like this. Noah had never seen rain. We know this stuff, right? 
It had not occurred. There was a mist that went up from the ground and watered the ground, and it was a tropical climate, and it had never rained before. And God is saying, I'm, I'm about to flood everything. Noah never even seen it. Yet his reverence for God and who he is caused him to believe God over what he could understand and reason through his mind or anything he had ever seen. And in, he followed God regardless of everything else that he could imagine in himself. And he prepared the ark, condemning the world. We are kind of like Noah in the days that we're living in to some degree. As we're preaching the word and mockers are turning away. And you sense as you look at the world, something is coming. We've never seen the type of judgment that we just read about in the book of Revelation where it describes 50% of the population dying in three and a half years from all the things that will be coming upon the earth. Remember that stuff? We've never seen that stuff take place yet. Because of the word of God, we know it's coming. And with godly fear, we're moved to share his truth with those who are around us so that they can believe and be saved and be, be saved from that, delivered, if you will. And so this godly fear becomes the foundation of wisdom. And as I look at people and lives and I'm getting older and I look back at decisions made and not made and other people making similar decisions, I've come to realize that when you turn to God, he supplies you with that which you need to operate in him. And he gives it to you. And that's why I love verse 4. He gives uh, prudence to the simple. You know, young man, knowledge and discretion, things that, are, that you don't have come when you turn to him. And your fear, your reverence, your respect, your love is for God and what his word says. And he pours it in. So verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice he says, but fools despise wisdom. And instruction. Now, I want to say this before we go too far. In the book of Proverbs, we're going to see a lot about the fool. And I need you to understand very carefully that I don't want you, any of you, to go out and say, Pastor Kevin called me a fool. Because that's not true. All right? You have to take it up with the Holy Spirit. If the conviction is coming, you, you need to, yeah, that's something y'all need to hang. That's, I'm out of that. Uh, but we're going to hear the fool despises wisdom. The fool loves to talk but doesn't want to listen. Just a lot of stuff. The fool talks so much, but he doesn't want to hear any wisdom. So we're going to see all of these things about the fool as we go through here. I am not calling any of you, nor will I call you a fool. You take up your concerns with the Lord. Notice verse 8. Now we're going to see in verse 8 down, we're going to see that God's plan and his, his, uh, this, this thing gets cultivated, this fear of the Lord gets cultivated through the parental guidance, which happens in this institution, this vehicle which God created, which was marriage in the very beginning. And so we need to know and understand that. Verse 8, notice it says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. And I love that and want to spend a moment in that because in just reading the flow of that verse, if you notice your father, notice your mother, there's a biblical implication. Listen, there's a biblical implication here that we need to take note of. And that is that God intended for the vehicle, listen, the vehicle which would begin to cultivate a healthy fear of who he is so that people could receive this outpouring of wisdom began with this institution that he calls marriage, which is made up of, notice, a man and a woman, and particularly a genetic man, a man that is created by God as a man, and a woman, someone who is genetically created by God as a woman to come together. And we're going to see that both are important. Now, look, 
I don't want you to think that God, listen, because we, you know, our world is plagued by single parent homes. And sometimes single parents can be very, very overwhelmed. My wife's mother was a single mom and she had twin boys. I've heard the stories. I mean, you, you, you can't see for coming and going because they never wake up at the same time. They never poop at the same time. And they never hungry at the same time. And, you know, you know so she went through. I'm, and I, I love hearing those stories. I want you to know this, though. Listen to me very carefully. God loves the single parent. In the Old Testament, we see his heart poured out on a woman named Hagar, who for the lack of faith of Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham remembers the father of faith, She's out by herself. Anybody know the story? Wave at me, you do. And she's crying because she thinks her son is going to die. How am I going to take care of him? And God shows up and says, hey, don't worry. Look right over there. There's your provision. I got you. I see you. And we know that. And look, for all we know, Jesus can relate to the single parent home. We don't know for sure, but there's no mention of Joseph past the Christmas story. For all we know, Mary may have had to finish by herself. We don't know. Now, she had the Messiah, so she wouldn't really by herself. Joseph, we don't know what happened. It might have been too much stress raising the Messiah. You know, imagine when he left, they left Jesus at the temple when he was 12 and then realized they lost the Messiah and had to go back and find him. You know, that was a lot of stress, you know, just to kind of understand Joseph. But we don't really know. Maybe Jesus can relate. The Bible says he can relate in all ways. But what we know is God loves a single parent home. But what we need to understand is that most often the single parent home is the, the result of the destruction of Satan and the sin of man because he, he desires to destroy everything that God has created. And so as we look at this verse where he says, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Even in that verse, you hear that there's these two, this man and this woman that God desires, and they both have a role. If you remember last week, as we were talking about some of these words, one of the things that we found out um, here, and I'll even add to it, the law, it, it implies commandments and teaching, things which have been poured in. But the word instruction in verse eight, as we looked at it last week, it is actually the discipline or the correction that goes with that. It's two things that happen. And in that, there's almost an implication of some roles that come in. In other words, often in the Jewish community, this law, it speaks of the early teaching of the mother in the Jewish community. The children would grow and mom is teaching. Mom is teaching them songs that they would sing and learning the Hebrew alphabet. And in both of those, they're learning the scriptures, basically. And they're learning all about how God created in the beginning. And he did this and he did that. And so all of that's being poured into them as they're little and they're learning the truth of God. Okay. And then this instruction of the father, that's the discipline that complements it. And I think the two go hand in hand and the roles are even embedded within the text if you Look at it all the way through scripture. There's an implication that God desired a man and a woman to parent together in a particular way. And so what happens here is that, ladies, as you're pouring into your children and you discipline as well, you're pouring these things in. You're pouring truth in. You're, you're pouring into them the things of God more than anything else. They're learning ABCs. They're learning all this stuff, but they're learning about the Lord. And then it implies the instruction of the father that there should be a father present to discipline and come behind and complement and enforce that which has been taught. And sometimes this is a difficult thing because sometimes in homes there is uh, an imbalance because we're learning how to parent 
from things we see in the world and, and maybe our own experiences, and we're not looking to the scripture to find out how should we truly parent. You know, and what that does is it produces a lot of uh, problems sometimes because what we need, listen, is men who will, in a healthy way, discipline the children and reinforce the things which have been learned. Now, it brings conflict sometimes into the marriage. Growing up, I watched my parents get into a conflict when I was young, and the conflict was over whether or not I could ride my bike three miles and play football. My mother was afraid for me to ride on the road, and my dad knew I could do it. And so this conflict happened. And, of course, and I'll get into this in a minute, the way I was brought up, a conflict between mom and dad is a conflict between mom and dad. And one way to get, you know, knocked out was to get in between (laughs) that conflict. Okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. So it was a healthy conflict that was unfolding. And because, you know, and ladies, I just want to say this, you know, really quick, and don't get mad at me. And I know I'm going to get into trouble because as soon as I left first service, this little boy met me on the sidewalk, and he wanted to take me to have this conversation with his mom. And I'm like, I ain't got <laughs> I got no authority there, son. And his dad's a police officer. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> but I'm watching this conflict, and I want to say, ladies, you know, men make men. And that's how God intended it to be. Don't get in the way of when dad has to be tough to some degree. Now, there is an unhealthy toughness that you have to balance out with your husband. But I want you to understand that when it comes to certain things, moms sometimes can be very partial to their sons and baby them. And then dad doesn't have the God-given authority to do what he needs to do to make a man out of the boy. And so they had this conflict, and my dad stood his ground and won the conflict, and I rode my bike three miles and paid, played three hours of football and rode my bike back and got to be a boy. And I felt, I was like, I mean, this is awesome, you know, this is good, you know. If dad wasn't there, though, I'd just been, you know, anyway, I mean. <laughs> and what I'm trying to say is there's, a, there's these roles that are there. There's these things that happen that come in that are very important, you know, and there's this balance because, you know, you need both the mom and the dad a lot of times to bring this balance. And that's also for the single parent home where the healthiness of the church community comes in. Because my son has said it many times and growing up, I said the same thing that it seemed like at the church, there's a bunch of dads and a bunch of moms in a Christian environment that can be very healthy. And so sometimes even when when a man at church or a woman at church is addressing a, a girl, the Bible says that ladies are training up the ladies and men are training the boys in Titus chapter two. There are a lot of times these young guys need a man to come and step in and say certain things to them because it's extremely important. I was getting on a young man about being disrespectful to his parents not too long ago just to reiterate what the parents was trying to train him. There is something implied in the text. Solomon here, how many of you are parents, by the way? Okay, you've got to understand, Solomon never intended this to be written to us. He's writing to his children. He wants them to get some things because he says it. My son, hear the instructions of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Remember what your mother has taught you and listen to what I'm trying to instruct you in and discipline you in because the heart here for him is for his children and for them to grow and avoid all the pitfalls of the world that they may fall into. And a lot of times that's a difficult thing. And, you know, 
I see it happen and unfold here at church sometimes, and I don't want to discipline your kids because I don't want you to get mad at me and go to another church. <laughs> because a lot of times that's exactly what will happen. But sometimes, and not too long ago, I was having a conversation with someone about the Lord and this little boy, and, and we weren't that far apart, and this little boy just tears through the middle. And it burned me up. I grabbed him by the arm and brought him back. I said, didn't you just going to walk between you and see us talking? You didn't say, excuse me? What's wrong with you, you know? And I know some parents don't parent that way, so they might see me doing it and get upset that I did it. But I guess, you know, the one thing, you know, I'm not 50 yet. I'm getting close. I'm turning great. I'm finding that there's a benefit in getting older. You can kind of just let say it, you know. It's just like it ain't. When I was 30, some mama went, you don't you talking to my kid like that? And she gone. Now, I mean, it's like a little easier. And so I told him, I said, don't, you don't do that. You say, excuse me. You know, and I've told you this, when I'm talking to you and your child walks up to you and interrupts us, your child, not another adult, man, these are things that when we were small, like I wouldn't, if I did that when I was their age, I wouldn't be your pastor now. <laughs> that, and that's why I wish my, I thought my mother was going to be here today. I wish she was here because she would, she would amen me because <laughs> there was things that were being taught to us that have like uh, a benefit if you learn these things. And so what happens is with parents, sometimes we can begin to get tired as we, after you raise a couple of them and bring a few up, you, you kind of get a little lax or, or maybe you're new at it. And you think that discipline is going to hurt their psyche somehow. That is psychobabble from the world. <laughs> and it's not biblical. And we are believers. And so God says, no, y'all are sinners. If you don't discipline them, you're going to have a mess on your hand. And Solomon understood that. And he's writing. And so by the finish it. So if they come up and we're talking and interrupt, you know, that's a problem. You need to tell them, no, you know, you need to no, You didn't say, excuse me. So go away and come again. Yeah, that's what you do. You didn't say excuse me, so you go off and come again when you, when you collect your thoughts and know how to, to do it the right way. Because these are the things that as you begin to teach and instruct your children, the Bible is implying that there's some things that are going to come from that, which is extremely important. In fact, I think I'm going to have to um, skip and come back to it because if you notice kind of what he says next, he says, for these things, for they will be, notice, a graceful ornament on your head. Y'all see that? And chains about your neck, verse 9. And the thing about it is this graceful ornament, I like the NIV says, they are a garland, because this ornament literally means a garland, a, a refolded that would be placed upon the head of someone who had achieved something, or someone who had gained a certain status. So it says they are a garland to uh, grace your head. In other words, they're put there for a reason to signify something. And I love that. The word grace literally meaning favor or elegance or pleasant or precious thing. In other words, it's saying here that they will be literally a symbol of favor and elegance upon your very head, signifying who you are. Uh, by implication, it's saying that the fear of the Lord being this foundation of wisdom will bring upon us as we practice it, the things that we've learned, kind of the favor and of the Lord and a kind of a status of elegance, spiritually speaking. In fact, Solomon over in Proverbs chapter four, speaking of these things, says it this way. He says, wisdom is the principal thing. He says, therefore, it's on the screen. Get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding 
exalt her. Remember, she's being personified as a, in, the, in, the, in the feminine. So exalt her being wisdom, and she will promote you. Wisdom will promote you. I love this because this is so true. God has a way of doing things when you conduct yourself fearing him and focusing on him and not compromising. Like you said, look, I'm going to trust the Lord and walk with him. He has a way of causing things to happen. And, and, you know, when I really learn in corporate America, many of you going to work tomorrow, when I really learn that I work for God, not my employer, once I really learn that and I'm content with God, promotions came like out of nowhere because I had a different mentality. So I conducted myself. There was an elegance. There was a favor that was there. And I wasn't even looking for it. I'm just trying to please my God now. And he goes on to say, she will bring you honor, notice, when you embrace her, me and wisdom. Notice, she, wisdom, will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. It seems to be that, verse 4, prudence to the simple, young man, knowledge and discretion. It seems that a fear of the Lord and a walking with him and trusting in him puts you in a spiritual status and it doesn't matter what your practical earthly state is, but you spiritually come into a status with the Lord by which he supplies those things which you need because he is our God. Amen. And that's what he does. You go on to work tomorrow and you think that your employer is your source. You've missed the whole point. Your employer is not your source, nor does he or she or it have control over your life if you know who you're working for. Notice he says in verse uh, 9 and chains about your neck, he says. I love that. The gold chain around the neck in that day, it was a mark of distinction. Um, it was conferred uh, to several people in the Bible. Joseph received the gold chain from Pharaoh when Joseph received wisdom from the Lord to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he said, oh, this is what it means. He's going to be a seven years of plenty, and then it's going to be seven years of famine. So here's what you need to do. For the seven years of plenty, we need to put aside a certain amount. Therefore, we got enough for the seven years of of uh, a famine. Got it. Pharaoh put a gold chain around Joseph's neck. But Joseph had wisdom that came from the Lord. You know, that happens on the job sometime. You follow the Lord, you're serving the Lord, and the Lord gives you uh, witty inventions or, or ideas or things that need to be done a certain way, and you get recognized when, when, uh, for things, or maybe you don't get recognized. But you see things happen because sometimes God does, you know, he's doing a work. You're serving him. Daniel, same thing. Daniel interpreted the dream, the king of Persia, um, and, and, and Daniel was, if you will, uh, draped with a gold chain, and he was promoted. So it produces or represents this. So when he says it, that's what the reader, his son, would understand. Someone with a gold chain around their neck was someone who had distinction, someone who had the favor of the king. And he's likening this to a person who hears and, and follows and doesn't forsake the law of his mother and the instructions of his father. It goes with them through life. I still can't be late to an important meeting because my dad drilled in me that if you're not there 15 minutes before it starts, you're late. So now I've drilled it in my son, and now he's getting on my nerves when we ride together because he's ready to go, and he's like, here's what you taught me. What? You know, let's go. I'm like, dang, all right, you know. Hey, you work for me. You're the one going to be late. You know? <laughs> it stays, though. 
And so it's a spiritual favor that begins to happen. And it's, it's not the, the outward adorning that means anything. It's a person who's adorned with something on the inside that is from God. This is what Peter told the women in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, hey, ladies, you got a knucklehead husband. He says, you can live this way and reach them without the word. And he says, but don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of the gold, putting on a, the fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the, of the heart with the incorruptible beauty and of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is what is being produced. And so as we come back to this thing, the Bible is trying to teach us that the foundation of a healthy society, even humanity, comes and it begins with this family unit. And the marriage is the foundation of it where there's a father and a mother and the two of them are instructing and teaching the kids together and these children grow up with this, this, this understanding of a healthy fear of the Lord, which they learn by having a healthy fear of their parents. And that's where it all begins. And so these things begin in a home is what Proverbs is trying to teach us now. And so every home represented here bears the responsibility to begin to lay these foundations on the inside of your young people while they're with you. Now, how does this happen? What does this look like? Pastor Kevin, you know, some people say, I don't really know what to do. It Maybe some of you are new believers, young believers yourself. You don't understand scripture. And you're like, what, what, what do we do? And how do we begin to do this? Well, Deuteronomy gives us some, some ideas. Chapter six on the screen. Deuteronomy says in these words, chapter six, verse six through nine, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy six, six through nine. So in these words, which I command you today shall be in your heart. So it begins with the word of God being in the hearts of the parents. So that's where it begins. So if your parenting is difficult and you don't have or don't spend time in the word of God yourself, it's going to be more difficult. And you're going to struggle as parents in the times that we live in. OK, it particularly now. Then he says, and you shall teach them what? These things that are in your heart. It must be real to you first. God's word must be alive and well in you first. Because then what? Because look, out of the out of the abundance of what the Lord pours into you, then you can pour out to them. It says it says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. He puts emphasis on it. Look, parents, that which is coming into us. God is saying those gifts that I've given you. I desire you pour it into them. How, Pastor Kevin? Well, he goes on to tell us. He says you should talk with them when you sit in your house. I love that. It's so simple. Isn't that simple? Like you would think he was going to say something really profound here, but he made it real simple for us. We can all have conversations, can't we? Now, here's the problem. We live in a time where conversations are hindered. We either don't sit at the dinner table or everybody's on a separate electronic device. And so we don't have conversations anymore. And here's what God is just telling us. You, look, you can, that little boy who had me on the sidewalk, taking me to his mama, this is the part of the sermon that got to him, okay? Because if you think about it, the electronic devices are hindering our households from connecting with one another anymore. So much to the point that young people now, you, they can't even look you in the face. If they're not engaged in a, in a screen, they don't know what they're doing anymore. Okay, so and you see it. You, just, you can see it all over the place. So what Deuteronomy, what Scripture is saying is, well, first of all, Dad, you need to be checked in because you need to be disciplining and, and enforcing the things that are being taught. 
Okay. And so therefore you need to have a handle over what's actually going on. So that means that there actually should be time when all electronic devices are turned off in your home. And you're like, but Pastor Kevin, you don't have the right to tell me what happens in my home. And you're right. I don't. Well, technically I do because I'm only giving you what he said should be happening in your home. So technically I do, but it ain't no need to get mad with me. God is instructing us that there are certain things that should happen. We got to get a handle on it. So he says, you shall talk with them as you sit in your house. Well, how do you do that? Easily. Stuff comes up. This is the easiest way to parent. Stuff happens, and there you have a a teachable moment. It's it's as simple as that. You know, I I think that the whole Ravi Zacharias thing was getting to um, my kids. So it was like, you know what, and and I realized this is a teachable moment here. This is the time to teach them that, that men are sinners and we shouldn't lift anybody up. And we and, you know, and this, that, and the other. And, and yet we don't know. We don't know people trying to say, well, where's Robbie now? Well, you don't know. You got no heaven or hell to say. You know, so we, we had a whole Bible discussion centered around this thing that has happened. A whole talk. You know, it ain't even always where you got to open and go line by line. Um, sometimes, that, because that's good and that you should have that in your home. But sometimes simple conversations with your children about the things that are happening is where it all begins. And so let me let you in on a little secret as, as good Christian parents should understand. And I believe this, and I learned this when I was teaching in children's ministry. Often when you're talking to young people, difficult questions come up. You can set your kids up for success spiritually or failure by how you respond to the question that you don't have an answer to. And I have to tell you that you know, what you, the wrong way to do that is, don't worry about that. You don't need to know about that. Wait till you're older. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is, if you don't know, well, you know, I'm not sure. Let me find out. Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's read the Bible. And I'll come back with an answer. Let's, because I want, they want it, they need to know that you want them to know the answer to this thing. Okay, so, but if you know the answer, but it's just a little uncomfortable to talk about when they ask you stuff that has to do with sex or homosexuality or, or something like that, and you're just uncomfortable with it. Well, let me ask you a question. Would you like the kids in the street to teach them? Would you like the school system, government school, which is basically a place for the, the global elites to, to put their agenda into your kids' heads to the point that by the time they're done, your kids don't even believe that there is a God, or they believe their agenda is up to however they feel on any given day. So would you like for them to, t- to answer the question? Like, who do you really want to answer that question? Okay, so you want to answer that question so they can hear it from God's heart, the biblical perspective, where you can then say to them, well, this is why it's like that, and this is how we do it, and we do it this, re- this way for this reason, and you begin to dialogue with them, and then they begin to hear the heart of their parents, which they're really then hearing the heart of their God. And then the closeness of the family unit gets even because your, your kids are realizing then, well, I, I, man, I can get answers at the house for my family about this thing. You know, so when they're in the street and people are trying to get them to do stuff, they're like, man, I need to talk to my dad about that. I don't know. Or I need to, I need to call my mom. And, and they still want to do that. And so he says, talk with them when you sit in your house. And then notice he says, and when you walk by the way. In other words, he says, when you're in the car, because that's where mostly we are, on the road trip. Have the conversations when you lie down and when you rise up. There should be open dialogue with you and the Lord and an open dialogue with you and your children so that they know mom and dad care about me, listen to me, and I can talk with them. 
It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your, your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your, eye, your eyelid, eyes. And the, the Jewish people took this stuff very seriously. They would wear and, wear and write the word of God in little boxes and wear them and write them on their doorposts. It says, write them on the doorposts of your house um, and your gates. But we can apply this, though, today. You know, you know what that means? Like in our house, this is a sign. A lady in the church actually made it. It's really nice, actually. And it, it's, it's like in our house, these are the things we do. We love, we, you know, but it's good stuff. You know, like we believe in the Lord. We serve the Lord. And it's just, you put the stuff up. It's okay. Have stuff in your house about God and who he is and what our family's about kind of thing. So it's okay to do that. You can apply that as well. All of these things come back to God's heart for how humanity should be. Because he, and it starts with the family teaching children and children having a healthy fear of God in the family unit so that they know how to conduct themselves when they go out. Because that's what Solomon is going to get into next. And we don't have a lot of time, but he, he says it here in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now, every parent in this room should be able to hear Solomon's heart at this moment because you know, it's a scary thing when your child gets to a certain age where they're going places without you for the first time. And every parent has these fears that pop into their heads. What if this happens? What if that happens? You know, what, 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 how, you know, and then you start sitting them down and talking to them again. You know, but so we all understand Solomon's heart here. Since, you know, kid, these, these things are going to come at you. Sometimes stuff pops in your mind. Say, okay, look, everybody, we need 30 minutes with no electronic devices and meet in the living room. Turn everything off. And I'll shut the Internet off if I have to. Okay, I can just, you know, pull up, you know. So we, and we said, look, y'all, this is just something we need to talk about. And you, you pour into them. And then, and then what will happen is they'll start asking you questions. You know, and then, and then it gets very interesting. And we begin to have conversations about the things that, need to be learned. I remember talking with a young man not too long ago, African-American young man, and I, we had a very interesting conversation. But I was simply saying to him, look, man, George Floyd, he's not our hero. Your dad, he's your hero. You need to listen to him and you need to walk with him. You need to, what happened to him, by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not belittling, that was horrible. But what I'm trying to say is that the opportunity to change the course of the next generation of your family is now in your house talking to them. And, and, and I will say now, I have to applaud these single moms now for a reason in the room. And I have to do it for this reason. When you see these single moms are working hard, you know, to bring their kids to youth group. Why? Because there's something happening here. You know, some of them come into men's breakfast as they're getting older. Why? Because, look, there's availability at the church. There are men there who love your family. Okay, and so if there's no dad in the house, you bring them to the youth group. You have them at the men's breakfast. You 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 involve them in your church where there is a godly presence of men who will have those conversations who they can say, look, this is going on. And I don't know how to deal with this bodily function thing. And I can't talk to mom about it because it feels weird to talk to mom about it. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? Thing? <laughs> I'm trying to be very practical and say, oh, man, that ain't nothing that happened to me when I was your age. Let me let me just tell you, just do you'd be all right, you know. And you just talk to them, and it puts them at ease, like, oh, good, man, because I didn't want to have to talk to mom about that one. <laughs> that happens here. Okay, that happens in a healthy church environment where you have young people and, and, and middle-aged people and older people all fellowshipping in the same church community. God has a desire for things to be done the right way. 
the world is falling apart. And we ain't supposed to be that way. We're over time. Y'all understand me? So we need to turn to the Lord. We need to work together. And let me encourage you, discipline in your children, teach your children things. Because you don't want me to do it because you already know if I are one of the pastors discipline your child, you're going to get mad and go to another church. <laughs> because that's what Christians do. They don't deal with issues. I, I, I'm so sorry. I'm, that, now, that almost comes off as a vent. But, but we've been so programmed by the world. We've been so prone around the world, we don't deal with issues. We don't talk things out and work through them. We just go somewhere else. And I'm trying to tell you, don't do that, you know. If it happens, good. You need to help, you know. So God is good, and we're out of time. Um, we're going to pick it up next week. But this whole thing from verse 10 down through verse 19, at least, it's a very simple thing, and I covered it first service. But he's just saying, look, if, if, if sinners are trying to get you to do something, don't listen. The time to save your child's life is when they're sitting in your home or riding in the car with you, dialoguing, and you can pour in and be quick to pray with them about stuff, okay? We got to end. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here. Lord, the practical wisdom that we find in your word, Lord, we need it. I pray that you would continue to make it, uh, you know, just come to life on the inside of our hearts and our minds. I pray over all the families, particularly the, um, the single moms here, Lord God, that you would give them an extra portion. Let them know that you see them, that you're with them, and you got them, Lord God, as they turn to you and trust you, Lord God, that they would lack nothing, nothing at all, Lord God. And so uh, that their young people would grow up strong and with the healthy fear of the Lord as well, Lord, and we all, uh, Lord, will walk with you. And I pray that you would bless us now as we turn now to baptize those who are coming to you with a, a new beginning in life, Lord. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Amen.